And this morning I want to talk with you from a psalm, really one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 27. It has been for a long time. Um, If I fall asleep in the middle of my own sermon, uh, it will be because just a few days ago we were in St. Petersburg, Russia, uh, where the temperatures dipped down into the teens, uh, wind chill-wise, a little cooler than Orange County, just slightly. It was an amazing experience to be there. Uh, My book, An Unhurried Life, had been translated into Russian. Uh, I can't read a word of it, but it looks really cool. And I was there to do a number of things, one of which was to uh, speak to some Russian leaders who had read my book. It was an amazing opportunity. And uh, just so you know, be praying for our brothers and sisters in Russia. They've experienced some renewed opposition to the free practice and sharing of faith than they had had perhaps 10 or 20 years ago when the Soviet system fell. Uh, My friend, for example, is on the KGB blacklist for sharing his faith in some of the former Soviet republics. It's it's a different time than it was even just a decade or two ago. And while we were there, we had some amazing opportunities. There in St. Petersburg is the Hermitage Museum where the original of the prodigal son painting by Rembrandt lives. This thing is huge. It's taller than the ceiling. It is breathtaking to see that image in person. And also there in St. Petersburg is the Russian National Museum, almost a millennium of Russian art going all the way back to some 1100 uh, AD icons of Jesus and certain saints and such. Amazing. While I was there, I was sitting on a bench. I was looking at a painting the size of the back wall of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. An amazing painting. And I'm sitting there and I'm just watching and there's Jesus drawing in the sand and and here's the woman being dragged by these very self-righteous looking men and she's looking fearful. I'm just taking this painting in. I mean, my soul is just having a feast, you know. And as I sit there, a young man comes and sits next to me. As best I could tell, I sense that perhaps he was a Chinese college student who was there in St. Petersburg. For whatever reason, perhaps he's a student there, I don't know. And as he sat next to me, he looked at me and said, do you know what the story of this painting is? I said, well, as it turns out. (laughs) And I said, yes, this is a story of Jesus when a woman who'd been caught in adultery was being brought to him. And these men were really angry about her. And he looked at the painting, he looked at me, and he said, well, it doesn't look like Jesus wants her to be punished. I said, I think you're right. But I said, what's even better than that is that instead of telling the men don't punish her, he says, whichever one of you has never done anything wrong, you start the punishment. And he looked at me and with these big eyes, like, man, Jesus is a genius, an absolute genius. It was such a fun moment just to see him wake up to how good and wise Jesus is. Well, as I said, Psalm 27 has become one of my very favorite psalms. It's a psalm of David. As far as we can tell, it's one of his early ones. As far as we can tell, it's a psalm that he writes before he becomes King David. Most likely, he right now is David being chased by King Saul. He's facing a lot of trouble. Things are hard 
in his life and unpredictable and he's on the run and it's in that kind of place being chased by a crazy king Saul who wants to take his life that David turns to the Lord. So I don't know what kind of troubles you're facing. I don't know if they're on the scale of what David is facing, but whatever challenges you may be facing, this psalm might be the very place for you to turn. And it's in that context that David begins his prayer with three words. What are they? Would you read them with me? The Lord is. Let's try again. The Lord is. Three very simple words. It's not rocket science. Who else are you going to pray to? I'm right. The Lord is. That is huge. As simple as almost simplistic as that sounds, the Lord is is an amazing way to start the prayer. It doesn't say the Lord was, as though he were some historical people of Israel, God, which he was. It doesn't say the Lord will be, as though it doesn't apply now, but someday it might. The Lord is. Right here, right now, in the midst of the challenges David is facing, The Lord is. Do you ever feel tempted when things get hard, when difficulties pile on themselves, to wonder if the Lord is in the middle of that? How could the Lord be right now, right here, when things are as bad as this? It's a temptation. I'll talk a little bit more about that as the psalm continues. David begins with God. And maybe that should sound obvious to you, but I'll tell you why for me it isn't. Because when I'm in trouble, often my prayers don't start with the Lord. They start with me. I'm in trouble, Lord. I got problems, Lord. I need your help, Lord. See, Lord comes later in the prayer. (coughs) Me comes first in the prayer. It's almost like this, if you can imagine Here's the Lord, and I'm praying, and here are my troubles just surrounding me, a wall of them as wide as I can see. And the question becomes this, when I pray, which direction am I looking? Am I staring at my troubles, hoping I can get God inspired to take a peek at them and do something about them, And I don't know how far away he is, but I hope he'll somehow draw near and get involved. But I'm staring at my many different troubles. Or, as David does, the troubles are all there. But he's focused, the Lord. His heart, he brings his heart to God. And he brings his concerns and he brings his troubles and he brings his requests and he brings himself to the Lord who is. And this is what he prays. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Three things about the Lord that he wants to remember. One, the Lord is my light. When darkness seems to surround me, the Lord shines. You know what darkness feels like, don't you? When things are heavy 
and it's hard to see what's going on. It's hard to make sense of something that's happened. It feels dark. It's in that very exact place that we so need to say, Lord, you are my light. You shine here and now. Then he says, the Lord is my salvation. When threats surround me, the Lord is there to save me. Lord, you are my salvation. And then finally, the Lord is my stronghold, the stronghold of my life. When danger surrounds me, the Lord is a safe place for me to hide. What is it about who God is that you most need right now? Do you need him to shine? To help you see your life in the context of his presence? Do you need him to save? Not in that sort of first initial come into faith kind of way, but an ongoing right now, real life, I need salvation now. Or maybe it's the feeling that I need a safe place for me to live my life. Lord, be my stronghold. Which of those do you most need? And see, as this psalm continues in verse 2 and 3, it feels like the troubles just escalate. It starts with when evil men advanced against me, and then it becomes enemies and foes attacking me, and then it becomes an army that's besieging me, like surrounding me and keeping me from being able to do what I want to do and Go where I want to go. And then finally, we're not just talking about an army. Now we're talking about a war that breaks out against me. Troubles just escalate. Do they ever feel that way for you? Yeah, we can probably move to the next slide as well. Okay, that's good. So in this psalm, David's talking about troubles that just seem to escalate. You know, you pray and you want things to get better. That's kind of what you expect. And then things get worse and you think, hey, wait, I guess prayer doesn't work. I prayed and things escalated. You ever feel that way? David doesn't give up. In fact, in the midst of troubles that only seem to get worse, watch where David's focus goes. One thing. If you were sitting and listening to someone you admire or someone who's important or someone who's achieved quite a bit or someone who's in line like David is for the position of the land, he knows at this point that someday he's going to be the king. If that person said to you, you know, in, in the midst of all that I'm facing, I'm really focused on one thing. Would you listen? Would you be curious? Would a guy like that facing what he's facing claims that there's just one thing he's about right now, would you listen? I sure would. I would be curious what a person like that was arranging their lives around. All of the different things going on in their lives, what the central single focus of their lives were. And David gives us a little peek when he says, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek. What? Well, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I might gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, that I might seek him in his temple. 
in the midst of all of these troubles, all of these challenges, those who want his life, in the midst of all of these things that surround and seek to overwhelm David, he says there's one thing, one thing at the center of all of that that I seek, to dwell, to gaze, to seek, to continually abide in God's beautiful, wise, and holy presence. It's like, to use a crude illustration, it's like a bicycle wheel. Okay? At the center of the bicycle wheel is one thing, the hub. Right? Out at the perimeter, many things. All those spokes going out into the outside of the wheel and where the tire is. Where are we living our lives when things seem to be spinning out of control? Are we living out on the edge and feeling just spun? Or are we learning that it's possible for us, even in the midst of many things that feel like they're spinning out of control, that we can come to the center, to the one thing, that still point, that simple place of the Lord is. The Lord is. Seriously, if you are in a moment now or at any time near future, or it feels like things are becoming overwhelming, this is one thing I would encourage you to consider. Take a moment, let your heart become focused, and remind yourself right now, no matter what is happening around me, the Lord is. I can dwell in his presence. I can look at his beautiful face. I can seek him in his temple. See, the thing about a day of trouble, a time of trouble, is that it has a way of distracting me and fracturing my attention. And, and kind of like Martha in the story of Mary and Martha, the line Jesus says about her is, Oh, Martha, Martha, you're... You're worried and concerned about so many things. I'm sad to say I identify with that. There are times when the troubles just seem to pile up and I feel like I am worried and concerned about many things. Anyone here identify? Just me? I guess just me. All right. One thing, David says. One thing I ask for. I seek. The passage goes on to verse 8, where David sort of looks at all of this, and in verse 8 he says, Come, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. See, what happens is when trouble surrounds me and when trouble catches my ear and grabs my attention. I don't hear that what my heart is most hungry for is actually God. Now this may sound strange, but actually, even when I am surrounded by trouble, what my heart, what your heart actually most thirsts for and hungers for is God and God alone. He is the one for whom we are hungry. 
Jesus models this for us. He's in the desert, 40 days. He hasn't eaten food. If you hadn't eaten food for 40 days, like somewhere back at the beginning of October, you decided to stop eating food. Okay? And now you're at church quite a bit thinner than usual. Right? Are you hungry? Oh, you're hungry. Come on, 40 days, let's be honest. Man, I mean, I could go 40 days, okay? I'm, I'm telling you, probably. But you're hungry. And in that moment, the evil one, the tempter says, hey, you look hungry to me. Here's some stones. You got some power. Make a little bread. What's the big deal? And Jesus says, actually, there's something I need more than bread right now. I mean, seriously, you and I, if we're honest, after 40 days of not eating, what do I want? Food. What do I want? Food. Now. That's what I want. And Jesus says, no, let's talk about reality. Reality is, I most need the Father. And right now, at 40 days hungry, when everything in my body is screaming for bread, even here, let me just tell you about reality. I most need God. Jesus knew this one thing orientation. In the Gospel of John, chapter 4, there's a story where Jesus ends up at a well with a woman who's getting water at an unexpected time of day. And his disciples go into town to find some food because, well, they've not eaten in a while. And they come back and they see Jesus talking to this woman that they're not quite sure is as kosher as they'd have liked. They're a little nervous that Jesus, the rabbi, the holy rabbi, is talking to this person. Bad for his reputation, probably. And they wait politely, but the conversation ends, and they say to him, Rabbi, eat some food. Well, they probably hadn't eaten anything in a while. They've been traveling, and they've not been able to find some food. And you know what Jesus' answer is? Do you remember? He says, guys, I've got food you don't know about. And they're thinking he's got some stash in a backpack. But Jesus is talking about reality. He's just had a conversation with a woman who was on the Father's heart. He's just had a conversation with a woman with the Father's voice in his mind and in his heart for her, for this woman. He's just engaged in doing the will of the Father. He is full. He's still hungry. Okay, I know. But one thing, one thing. Jesus lives for us, models for us one thing. And what Jesus wants us to realize is that our own hearts all the time are saying about God. Seek Him. Seek Him. But sometimes, I don't know what it's like for you, but for me, I get busy. I get hurried. I feel attacked. I feel troubled. I feel worried. And things get noisy. And things get rushed. And I get frantic. And I don't hear my own heart saying, let's seek Him. 
right now, right here, with all that's going on, let's, let's seek him. Let's not worry. Let's not run around as though we were chickens without heads now. Could, could we just seek his face? If we'll slow down even just a little bit, we would hear God speaking within our own hearts, seek my face. Let me become the singular focus of your will and the only affection of your heart. And the good news is David says, yeah, that's what I'm about. That's what I'll do. Your face, Lord, I will seek. My prayer is that we would, when we hear that voice within us saying, seek God, seek God now, seek God here, seek God in the midst of all that you are now facing. My prayer is that you would not just stop at wanting to seek or intending to seek or planning to seek, that you would continue to find your way into that action, that obedience, that response to seek God here and now and today. Now, as I said earlier, when I'm surrounded by trouble, when difficulties come and seek to overwhelm me, trouble tempts me. And so verse 9 sort of unpacks this. Listen to this. In the midst of all that confidence, you know, even if an army comes and attacks me, I'm going to seek God. But, But David's still honest in his prayer, isn't he? He says, God, don't hide your face from me. Why would he pray a line like that? Unless somewhere inside of himself, he was a little bit afraid that maybe somehow all of this mess around him was evidence maybe God took a vacation for a week. Have you ever felt that way? You know, like things seem to be going well, and then bam, something hits, whatever the something is. And you go, oh man, where was God when that thing came through? Why did he let that happen? Ever? David says, don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. You who've been my help, don't cast me off. Don't forsake me, O God of my salvation. When trouble comes, it can sometimes tempt us to wonder if God is abandoning us, maybe even rejecting us. One of the best things we can do when we find fears like that in our hearts is to say them out loud in the presence of God. Do you ever have any doubts? Are you human? I think we're a room full of humans. Are you ever afraid? Of course you are. Oh my goodness. Here's the thing. I am sometimes tempted to pretend I'm not and then pray syrupy sounding prayers I think God wants to hear. Oh Lord, you're just so nice. And life's so nice. And here's my prayer, amen. And God says, what was that? Come on now. You understand I already know everything, right? So I know you're afraid and you're nervous right now. I know that. What was that prayer? That didn't even sound like reality, did it? If you're afraid, pray you're afraid. If you're nervous, pray your nervousness. Are you anxious? Pray your anxiety. Lord, this just happened and I'm going crazy inside. What are you going to do about it? That is a perfectly good prayer. God can handle it. He really can. Your strong, honest prayers won't make him nervous. 
He's bigger than that. He really is. And he wants to have a relationship with you. The real you. The actual you. The you facing what you're facing right now. You're the one he wants a relationship with. He doesn't want some idealized you that can smile when there's no smile inside. He wants a relationship with you right now. Is that amazing or what? He wants you to seek him exactly where you find yourself. Nothing you're facing surprises him. Nothing you're wrestling with surprises him. He already knows. He loves you. He wants you. He's inviting you. Seek me. No matter what troubles may be surrounding you, still he wants you to seek him. And this brings us to the closing of David's prayer. The last two verses of this psalm, verse 13 and 14. I think we have 14 on the slides. But I want to read verse 13 as well. Oh good, it's here. He says, now this is the ending of the prayer. Remember, he started by talking about the Lord, talking about the escalating troubles, talked about the focus of his life, talked about the temptation, even in the midst of that, that he feels that maybe God's forgotten. I mean, this is my faith. I seek God, but man, this is a lot of trouble. Did God goof up or what? All of that stuff ends in these closing lines of Psalm 27. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then David sort of in his prayer sort of looks up a little. And he looks at us. And he speaks to us. He says to us, Hey, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. And wait for the Lord. What's he waiting for? What does David need to wait for? Well, he's waiting for God to shine. The Lord is his light. He's waiting for God to save him. The Lord is his salvation. He's waiting for the Lord to protect him. The Lord is his stronghold. He's waiting for God to do whatever God will do. Isn't that hard? That kind of waiting, isn't that hard? Wouldn't you rather just run around trying to do something, hoping maybe it works? That's what I often do. But David says... I've been with this Lord, this good shepherd, long enough to know that if I wait for him, he will act. He will do good for me. He will do good for us. We can be very confident of this. We will see God's goodness, even if right now feels bad. We will see God's goodness. We can be very confident that if we trust and wait for God. He will come to us in whatever way he wishes. And that will be good. We can be very confident that we are able to find strength to wait when it feels as though God has delayed. We can be encouraged in heart that God is for us no matter what or who is against us. God will come. God will help. God will save. And so what troubles have you been facing? And what's happened as far as those troubles and God goes? Have you been frustrated with God about them? Talk to him about that. 
You might as well. He already knows. You could make it a place of relationship instead of just a place of frustration. Talk to God from wherever you find yourself. Have you felt like there are enemies against you? Financial enemies, human enemies, personal interior enemies. What feels against you? Talk to God about it. Seek him. Don't stare at what is troubling you. I mean, you can do that if you want. By all means, you're free to. But you don't have to. You could say, Lord, I come to you with my fears, with my troubles, with my worries. I'm waiting for you. I'm looking to you. Shine. Save. Protect. My hope is that in whatever way you need this prayer, this prayer of David, that you'll take advantage of it and you'll step into it. And in that spirit, I'd like to close by praying. Would you join me? Lord, you really are our light and our salvation. We don't ever need to fear. You really are the stronghold of our lives. We really don't need to be afraid of anyone. So one thing, Lord, we ask. This is what we're seeking. Help us be these kinds of focused, rooted people who dwell in your house every day of our lives, who when we look, we see your beauty who when we seek, we find your presence as a place of worship. Enable us to grow in the kind of confidence David has that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, that we can wait for you and be strong and take heart. For these things we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.